Here we are in our study of the book of Ephesians. I think we are kind of on our fourth week, and, and we're going to kind of keep unpacking. We still got about another four chapters to unpack here. And the title of my message today is The Great Mystery. The Great Mystery. I want to start off with sharing a few thoughts about our brains. I've always personally been fascinated about brain, brain health, and what our brain are capable of doing. So let me share a few things about it. At birth, they say that a healthy brain is born, and it weighs about, they say, about 14 ounces, and it will usually reach a max growth and size by age 15. By age 15, it will be weighing about 46 ounces, which is slightly less than about three pounds, and in liquid measurements, it would be the size of a double gulp. So imagine this picture about three-fourths, seven-eighths full would be a double gulp size at 15 years old. That's how big or how heavy our brains are, 46 ounces. Medical professionals haven't proven this, but there is an old theory that says we only use about our 10% of our brain's capacity. If that's true, that we start with a double gulp, almost 50 ounces, we end up using about five ounces of our brain, if that theory is true, only using 10%. And to think about a little 5%, five ounces, 10% of our brain being used, and to understand the great vastness and the infiniteness of God, time, space, to think that with our little five-ounce brains, we're going to solve all the problems of the world. And, and here we are using this finite beings. For me, honestly, it doesn't seem logically possible for us with our small brains and our small minds to decipher the great mysteries of life, the universe, and of eternity. But here we are. Sometimes we think that we're so smart and that we can figure all these things out, but we're really limited and finite beings trying to understand the greatness and vastness of our great God. So I start with that there. This is where we pick up with chapter 3, okay? Chapter 3, I want you to turn there in our study. The chapter 3 will be in verses 1 to 11 as we look to the book of Ephesians. It's talking about this great mystery, this great mystery. So as he's talking about this great mystery, this word, Mystery in the Greek is the Greek word mysterion. Mysterion. In truth, the Greek word mysterion is used 27 times in the New Testament. Paul uses it 21 times himself, and of those, six of them are written right here in this letter. So six of the 27 times in the New Testament, Paul writes here to the church in Ephesus about these mysteries that he's unpacking in his life and in the life of others. So what is this great mystery? So we started in chapter 1, and one of the great mysteries he unpacks in chapter 1 is Christ uniting all things as one under heaven and earth. Here we see in chapter 3, he begins talking about a bunch of mysteries, but what he's beginning to unpack is the mystery of what God has called Paul to steward. 
God's put something in Paul's hand, a gift, a grace, and he's calling Paul to steward what he has. And this is a mystery to Paul, and he's trying to unpack these things as we begin to pick up in chapter 3. I don't know about you, but as I was reading this, how many of you ever felt like life at times can be this great mystery? What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to marry? What are my gifts and my talents? What am I supposed to do with them? What's my purpose in life? And these are some of the things that Paul's grappling with in chapter 3, that God's put these things. And what is he going to do now, this great mystery of stewarding what he has in his hands? Today, I'm going to talk about four people or groups that this mystery was important to. The first one was Paul, obviously. Paul, let's read in verses 1 to 5, Ephesians 3, 1 to 5. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you all heard of the stewardship, there's a word, stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. God's given him this grace, charis, or grace is a gift given to him, but it's not just for him, it's for the Gentiles. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known by the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. Paul has been dispensed out this grace. He understands it's a gift, and now he has to steward what God has put in his hands. You know, we don't see that in the Old Testament scripture, but exactly like Paul says here, this is being revealed to him, to him and the prophets about what God is doing and this great mysteries. So let me give you a little background about the life of Paul so we can understand him a little better and begin to empathize or kind of put ourselves in his shoes of where he's at. Paul, at the beginning of his life, he was being groomed as a leader in Jewish orthodoxy. His parents were Pharisees, fervent Jewish nationalists who adhered strictly to the law of Moses. They sought to protect their children from the contamination of the Gentiles. Get this, as good Jewish parents, their ideal for their children was to keep them away from Gentiles except they be tarnished or blemished by these Gentiles. Anything about the Greeks would have been despised by Saul's household. By age 13, Saul sent to Palestine to learn from a rabbi named Gamaliel under whom Saul mastered Jewish history, the Psalms, the works of the prophets. His education would continue for five to six years as Saul learned such things as dissecting scriptures and how to take scriptures and break them down one by one. As he grew older, Saul would be considered, honestly, a religious terrorist. Let me unpack that. Here he is very fervor and devout to God, and he's thinking he's persecuting and killing Christians for his faith, and he's thinking he's doing God a favor. He's grown up in this religion, has this almost 
disdain for Gentiles or that's what's being passed down to him in his culture and into his family. And here we see him. He's actually persecuting and killing Christians. One passage in the book of Acts talks about Stephen when he's martyred. And they're actually handing the clothes off. And, and, and as they're, the, the people who are martyring Stephen are literally taking off their garments and giving it to Saul. So catch this imagery. Here Saul is raised in the Jewish traditions. He's being fed these things about even the Gentiles. He's holding the garments of people being stoned, Christians, for naming the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior. And now he's out almost like a religious terrorist. We can see this religious terrorist as he's killing Christians, but it all changes with one encounter with God. On the road to this Damascus, I think it's in Acts chapter 9, where Paul gets blinded. Actually, his name is Saul. He gets blinded, and you know the story. If you don't, I want you to go back and read that story in Acts chapter 9. And he gets blinded, and he has an encounter with God, and his life is never the same. When his life is never the same, his eyes are being opened, he's once blinded, and he now begins to see spiritually. He's seeing with new eyes. He's a new creation. You know, the irony of the mystery of God is that God calls the apostle Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The family that once despised Gentiles, wanted nothing to do with them, keep their distance away. In fact, they would refer to Gentiles as dogs. I think the irony, don't, don't ever say that God doesn't have a sense of humor. Here God is raising and grooming up Paul, and he makes no mistakes, and he calls Paul to go back and reach the Gentiles whom they despise growing up. The very people who they despise, God calls him to, and he's faithfully stewarding what's in his hands even though it doesn't make sense. Can I encourage you? At times in life, things will be like a mystery. We've all been like Paul, dispensed out a grace, a gift, uh, time, skills, gifts, talents. And what are we doing with those things that have been dispensed to us? Paul is going back and confronting things of his whole childhood. And it doesn't make sense. And this is a mystery to him. How is it the very people whom they despise now God calls him to? Oftentimes, just in my own walk with the Lord, I see that God will call us to do the very things that we thought we would never do before. What I've learned is never say never. Paul's prior years of training was never wasted. Everything he went through, his education, serving under Gamaliel, being trained and taught and all those things, they were never wasted years for Paul. And God uses each and every one of those things, and it's not a mistake that he calls them to the Gentiles. You know, as I was writing this message, I, I thought about a, um, a classmate of mine who we went to school with who was totally different from me. He was a, grew up, and he was uh, into heavy metal Christian rock. And I grew up in my small mind in a small town and growing up in this somewhat small church. And I had this small mind and view of God. And I, I remember going to school with him and, and telling him, like, you're a Christian and you listen to heavy metal rock? What's wrong with you? And I had this very small view of God. And what, what confused me was that, uh, um, this young man was so passionate for the Lord, 
fervor for the Lord. He had great gifts. He was a drummer, and he played in this band. And I said, you have to talk to me because when I meet you, I see the love of God and the love of Christ in your life. But it doesn't make sense to my mind that God would call you to reach people who he said, like, they would come to these concerts. He was a, a, a drummer in a band, and they would come to these concerts, and they would have horns on their head and piercings and tattoos everywhere. And he's like, that's who God called me to reach. And my mind was absolutely blown, and I, I said, well, you got to talk to me about that. Like, wh what does that look like? And uh, he says, well, we play heavy metal, Christian, Christian rock. And as we play it, at times in our closing song, we'll slow it down. We'll play a, a, a kind of a worship song. And, and you know what? And we have an altar call. And the altar call is filled with these people who have horns and piercings and things dangling off of them and, and tattoos everywhere. And they come and they surrender their life to Christ. That totally messed my mind, my theology up in my small mind. And I began to see how big God was. He said, he talked to me, he says, Dion, you, you should see the look on these people's faces who hear the gospel for the first time and surrender their life to Christ. And they begin weeping there at a concert stage, but their altar and coming to the Lord. And I began to grapple even in my own walk with the Lord to realize that maybe that's not what God's called me to do. I, I, you wouldn't see me head banging in some heavy metal band, but that's what he's called my friend to do. He's got gifts. I, you don't want me playing music and, and singing. That's not my gift, although I'll sing anyway, but I tend to mess things up. That's not my gift. What I, what I appreciate about this friend of mine is that he knew his gifting. He knew his calling, and he was stewarding what God put in his hands to reach people that would otherwise not be reached because that's not my gifting and calling. I've been called to reach people who you may not reach. Do you know that you've been called, like Paul, to reach people that I may never reach? You've been dispensed out a grace, grace, charis, a gift given to you, skills, talents, things deposited in your life. And are you stewarding what God has put in your hands? That's a great mystery. This is one group of people is Paul. The second one is the Gentiles, the mystery impacted. Let's read verses 6 to 8, Ephesians 3, 6 to 8. The mystery that is the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Jews were heirs, right? Now they're fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Paul's a prisoner and a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which has been given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles and unsearchable riches of Christ. Three things in those few short four verses there. Three things that uh, Paul's kind of unpacking for the Gentiles whom they have these blessings or these three mysteries, but they are blessings. The first one is they have a new relationship. Gentiles were not in relationship with Christ and these converted Jews who are now felt like they were the promised children were in relationship and here now Paul is saying here's a mystery you Gentiles although you weren't born into it you're now called in relationship with Christ 
That's one of the mysteries and a blessing. The second one was a new relationship and a new power. Gentiles did not have access to the same power that these converted Jews and Christians in the church at Ephesus had. But here, Paul is kind of beginning to unpack and say, man, that same power, Paul writes in the book of Romans, says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells within you and I. And man, when I heard that scripture and you begin to unpack that, that same power, the resurrection power that raised Jesus when he was in the tomb from the dead lives within you and I if you are Gentile and not a Jew. They have a new relationship. They have a new power. But lastly, they have a new riches. We see that in verse 8. To preach to the Gentiles an unsearchable riches in Christ. They have an unsearchable riches, the Gentiles, weren't connected to the covenant and had an inheritance. I talked a little bit more about covenants last week. If you didn't watch it, I encourage you to go back and watch it. But now Paul is kind of promising and talking to the Gentiles. Here's another mystery, Gentiles. Not only you have new power and a new relationship, you also have a new riches stored up for you and I. That's what he's beginning to unpack for these Gentiles. These are great mysteries that benefited Paul the Gentiles, but also the third group was rulers and authorities. Rulers and authorities. And let's kind of unpack and read this verse. Paul's revealing to rulers and authorities the mysteries of God, verses 9 to 11. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery of hidden ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, through us, the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities. There's a lot to dive into and unpack, but he's talking about the church. We, Jew and Gentile, coming together, birthing of the church, Ephesians 1. But here he's talking about rulers and authorities that literally that we would begin seeing or educating these rulers and authorities how we live here on earth question i have is who are the rulers and authorities in this verse some commentators have said that they very well could be angelic levels of authority of both good and evil meaning there are some good and bad angels is kind of who paul is talking to so paul is educating these good and bad angels about the manifold wisdom of God, which is the church, Jew and Gentile, as one. This is a mystery to the angels because they weren't taught this. The angels, both good and bad, weren't taught about this. Remember now, this is being revealed to Paul. And he's revealed to Paul, and now they're being taught about Jew and Gentile becoming one. This is a mystery, and it's beginning to open up the rulers and authorities' understanding of how the church works. What I need you to uh, understand is that there are angels all around us, good and bad. And let me kind of unpack some of those things. So what are angels? Angels, get this, are created beings. Angels are created Beings, therefore, they are limited, they're finite, and they are not omniscient, meaning they are not all knowing. They're created by God, good initially, 
and then they fell, right? So let me ask you a question. Who is Satan and who is the devil? Satan or the devil or Lucifer? Who is it? Satan was created as a holy angel. I want you to, you need to get this. This is really full and it's a lot to unpack, but I want you to catch this thought. Paul's writing to rulers and authorities. Who is the devil? He is created originally as an angel, a created being. Possibly, Isaiah 14, possibly gives Satan a pre-fall name of Lucifer, the uh, prophet Isaiah. Ezekiel describes Satan as having been created a cherub, apparently the highest created angel. So Satan, or the devil, is a cherub, a highest created angel. Prophet Isaiah writes how he was full of himself and how prideful he was. He became arrogant in his beauty, talking about Satan. He became arrogant in his beauty and his status and decided he wanted to sit on the throne above that of God. Satan's pride ultimately led to his fall. Because of his sin, God permanently removed Satan from his exalted position and his role. Satan is cast out him and a bunch of angels that follows him. So now get this, angels were created beings originally created for good. Pride gets in the way. Satan in charge, one of the highest positions as a cherub, casts out a bunch of angels, go with him. But they are created finite beings who have a limited understanding when compared to the magnitude and vastness of God. I want to kind of unpack that in a little bit. Satan becomes the ruler of this world as he begins to get cast out. He's the prince of the power of the air. John 12 talks about that. Revelation says that he's the accuser. He also, in Matthew 4, says that he's a tempter. He also is a deceiver, Genesis 3. He's an accuser, tempter, deceiver. That's kind of his M.O. That's who he is. Deceiver, tempter, accuser. His very name means adversary. You get that? In his name gives his description. He's an adversary to God. Once created good, but because a created being, he also is given free will to choose. And obviously, he's choosing on his own and making it selfish and about him. Another of his title, the devil means to slander. One of his, his the devil means that, you look that name up, it means to slander. These angels, including Satan, are limited and finite. Listen to God's attributes and how God doesn't even come on the same level as these limited angels whom Paul is talking about. God is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. God is omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, and nothing is too hard for you. God is also infinite. They are finite. These angels, whether good or evil, are finite and limited. God is infinite. Unlike us, God has no limits and no boundaries. He's not confined to a dimension of a space. God is self-existent. Unlike everything else in the entire universe, he had no beginning. God, was, God is the first cause. He had no beginning. 
Because he is the creator, he's the only one who exists outside of the created order. Did you get that? When you're the creator, he exists outside of time. He's self-existent. God also is eternal. He's not bound by the dimension of time. He created time as a uh, a temporary context for his creation. Uh, Here he is, God, who's infinite, creates time. Our time here on earth is limited. I don't know about you, but life isn't forever and tomorrow isn't promised. One day you and I will all face death. It is just a fact because we are finite beings created by an infinite God. Yet what I love about God is he, God encompasses all of eternity, but he's self-sufficient. Get this one. All creation relies on God for existence. You ever thought about making yourself breathe? You ever thought about what you got to tell your body to do in order to eat, chew, swallow, digest, get nutrients? You never take a thought. Why? Because I wish I had my, my cup now that I threw it off. My little five-ounce cup. We have these small brains, and there's no way our small little brains could compute how to make our complex body work, let alone the entire universe. Why? Because God is self-existence. He is infinite, and he's self-sufficient. He has no need for anything. He does not need our help. This is God. Yet, he offers us the privilege and he calls us to come and participate with him and he includes us to fulfill his purposes. Angels are created beings who aren't all-knowing and God is educating these angels, good and bad, and giving them a lesson about the church. In other words, angels, good and bad, are learning through us, right, of how we love how we live, Jew and Gentile, it's educating rulers and authorities. I want you to know that just like Satan, the devil, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, he's finite and limited, just like you and I. This is why my hope, my confidence is in God, because he's not a created being. He sits out of time. He's the creator. Everything else is dependent on God. So why would you put your hope and trust in anything else except God Almighty? I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you the opportunity in closing to put your faith and trust in God. He is all-powerful and all-knowing. The last group in the mystery of, of this, what Paul's talking about, who benefits, is you and I as believers or Christians. <clears throat> you and I as believers or Christians. So there are many great mysteries and truths that we as the church and God can rejoice and stand on. Let me unpack a few mysteries of what you and I can stand on today. The mystery of the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work. It's a mystery. No one knows how he goes in the Holy Spirit and knows how to divide the things in our own heart and lives, our very thoughts. The mystery of the saving and keeping power of God. The mystery of watching a life headed toward a dead end, but be changed and transformed by the power of God. The mystery of how we can have joy in our life in the midst of great trial. That's a mystery. As Christian, how do we benefit from what Paul's words he's writing? You and I can benefit because there is joy not contingent or connected to the circumstances we're in. It's connected to the one who we're anchored in. The mystery of having faith in God that you can't see. You ever thought about that on this journey? 
as a believer, it's easy to have faith in something that you can feel, feel, see, touch, grab, hold on to. How do you have faith in something you can't see? Like grabbing onto the wind. Yet God calls us to have faith. And when the scriptures talks about without faith, it's impossible to please him, right? It's impossible to please God. He called us. It's a great mystery of our faith, but that's what he's called us to do. You know, as you study the history of the Christian church over thousands of years, you will see that there has always been a faithful few who kept the faith. While others had gone their own way, were doing their own thing, there was a remnant. There was a faithful few that even in difficult times stayed the course. Even through difficulty, and you know, we think our, our lives today is difficult, and, and I'm not downplaying the seriousness of this COVID-19 and, and people who've lost their lives to it, but what I, what I am saying is that if we think that this is the most difficult part of our life, we truly haven't faced persecution. When I look at the history of the church, there have been Christians over the centuries who've laid down their very lives. People who've been held by gunpoint and says, denounce your faith. People who've been held at the stake says, we're going to burn you alive if you don't turn away from serving God. And yet they held true to their faith, even if it meant death. Paul is writing, what's this great mystery? It's a mystery to you and I because sometimes in life, it doesn't make sense. But we've all been dispensed a grace, a gift that God has blessed us with. And what are we doing with the gift that God has blessed us with? Are we stewarding the gift just like Paul stewarded his gift that God gave him? I pray here we are, the week after Mother's Day, and in this study of Ephesians in chapter 3, I pray that we would steward whatever is in our hands well. Steward what we have in our hands well. Yes, this is a mystery. All a mystery is, is a sacred secret. It is unknown to those who don't believe in Jesus, but it's well understood and treasured by the children and family of God. Yes, with our small and finite minds, it might be difficult to understand, but this mystery for you and I who name the name of Christ, it's not impossible to understand this mystery because we have faith in him. Back to my title, The Great Mystery. We are, are we all stewarding well the gift that's in our hands? As I close and wrap up this message, I want to encourage you. You may not be called to reach the people I'm called to reach, but you probably are called to reach people that I may never know, never reach, and never get to meet. Just like Paul, who's called to reach Gentiles, who I can only imagine his family and the criticism he took. He was raised in a home that despised Gentiles, and yet the irony and great mystery is God calls him to reach those people. You're called, my friend. Uh, you're called with gifts, skills, talents dispensed out to you and I, and are we being faithful to steward it well?